Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, May 19th. We begin with a breakdown of Thursday night's broadcast debate between NDP leader Rachel Notley and UCP leader Danielle Smith. We get the thoughts of Bill Anderson, Vice President of Calgary-based Public Affairs Agency, Crestview Strategy. Body language can tell us a lot. We continue our discussion surrounding the provincial leaders' debate with body language expert Robin Braley. We get Robin's biggest takeaways on what he saw from both candidates. And finally, it's our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We get the mayor's reaction to the debate, including how the platforms and policies mentioned last night by both leaders could impact the city of Calgary. Who came out on top after last night's leaders' debate and what were some of the highlights? Joining us to break it down is Bill Anderson, Vice President at Crestview Strategy. Good morning, Bill. Thanks so much for being with us. Nice to be with you. Uh, Appreciate your time. We'll start and just kind of get an overview from you, what you kind of took away uh, as a whole from both leaders and their performance. Sure. So I I think it's fair to say that... um, you know, there weren't any real knockout blows or memorable lines from the evening. Uh, I heard a lot of folks call this sort of a boring debate, but I, I think that largely reflects the intention of both leaders going into it. Um, you know, for Smith, her big challenge was gaining the confidence of, um, you know, yet undecided UCP voters who might be sitting on the fence uh, and have questions about her her leadership abilities. Uh, whereas, you know, Notley's biggest challenge was convincing Albertans that she's capable of managing the provincial economy and the province's largest industry, like the energy sector, uh, after uh, her record of, of four years in government. Bill, I know it's, it's near impossible to pick a, a quote-unquote winner, but did one of the leaders by the end of the 60 Minutes have an edge, in your opinion, coming out of the debate? Yeah, and like I think it dep- depends on how you measure success, Andy. Like I, I think that if you if you um, sort of accept the premise that I just proposed, like I think Smith would would be the clear winner. Like one of the things that I observed watching last evening's debate was, um, you know, I, I don't think Rachel Notley really talked all that much about her policy proposals until her closing comments. Right, like a lot of her time and energy was spent. Uh, um, you know, uh, trying to contrast uh, and attack uh, Smith's uh, um, uh, pu- publicly publicly stated, uh, you know, uh, policy positions at points in time where, you know, Smith may or may not have been in elected office. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Smith did a really good job of pushing back on Notley because, of course, Notley has a record of, of you know, her time in office as premier uh, that, that can be, you know, pointed to. Um, uh, I think that Smith was steady and really well prepared and composed when it came to dealing with some of those attacks. And that's really the big challenge, right? Like you're not going to uh, necessarily, I think, you know, persuade a lot of voters by, you know, having a knockout debate performance, but you can persuade voters in the wrong direction if you aren't able to sort of uh, uh, handle the pressure of the moment. Do you think either performance could have influenced voters then on that note with what you just said? Yeah, like like I, I do think that those shy UCP voters who were wondering what kind of leader Smith, you know, is, and and wondering what kind of positions she's um, she's uh, w- willing to stand b- beside, uh, you know, I think they they could have a, a degree of confidence in watching the way that she was able to handle really difficult questions. Uh, I mean, she was she was essentially under attack, you know, all, all night, and still managed to I think convey what uh, some of her her largest policy priorities are. Curious as to your thoughts here, Bill, as you know, we've heard over the past few months that the Calgary area was believed to be the true battleground in the upcoming election. We can also throw the 
Arena District, the Event Center District, into that mix as well. It wasn't an issue in the debate. It didn't come up. Are you surprised there was less talk about Calgary? Well, you know, I, I think I was actually. Like, um, you know, you might have expected a little bit more regionally specific messaging. Um, you know, I think that was uh, um, a miss for uh, the Notley campaign more than anything. I don't think that I heard anything from them that sort of differentiated the NDP platform or policy positions in a way that would acutely uh, relate to the interests of Calgary voters. Uh, but then, you know, on the, on the other hand, Andy, like it's, it's the only, um, only opportunity in this election that Albertans as a whole sort of singular audience are going to hear from both leaders on the same stage at once. And so, you know, I think it is reasonable that, uh, that the, we're, t- that they were uh, sort of taking the approach of speaking to, to that audience as a whole. Do you think um, that maybe Bill Notley missed a bit of an opportunity by not hammering Danielle Smith on the results of the Ethics Commission that came out literally just hours before the debate where Danielle was found to have violated the Conflicts of Interest Act and breached the what was called the fundamental pillar of democracy? Because she really didn't use that too much in the debate. Mm. Well... Like, so I, I did sort of see her pull at that thread a little bit. And, you know, um, Smith faced a number of comments about that uh, report following the debate. Um, uh, you know, put, putting putting aside the findings of the report, which I, like I you know, I don't think recommended necessarily any penalty, mm-hmm. like, you know, found that, found that um, uh, you know, there was some, there was um, some wrongdoing in terms of her, her communication through the, the justice minister's office. But I mean, I think her her ability to sort of say, look, uh, you know, I welcome the the um, advice that you know the commission, the ethics commission may have in in terms of how I could do this differently the next time. Um, you know, I think she sort of uh, Smith, I mean, uh, sort of accepted responsibility uh, and uh, you know did it with with quite a lot of composure. I think you know uh, th- those are difficult questions to answer. Certainly not the narrative I think she would have loved to be you know honing in on 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 debate night. Uh, so the challenge for the Smith campaign is going to be um, putting enough uh, policy and and you know campaign uh, uh, elements in the window to be able to shift the conversation over the next ten days of this election. Do you think uh, that this would you know have any effect on voters' minds on the 29th when we talk about the violation of the Conflict of Interest Act? Is is this going to change people's minds whatsoever, Bill? I think, um, you know, I was listening to the segment you did with uh, Monty Solberg yesterday, and I think he made a really good point when he talked about the issues that actually are going to matter to Calgarians or, or Albertans as a whole in this election. Like it's, it's pocketbook stuff. Can I afford my groceries? Um, you know, can I, can I afford to support my family on, on my salary? Do I have access to health care when I need it? Um, you know, uh, is the you know uh, is the uh, energy industry if that's an employer of your families is that is that industry going to be uh, under attack over the next four years depending on the policies of whichever government is elected like I think these are some of the the questions that are really weighing on voters' minds. Bill, we appreciate your time this morning. It was certainly interesting to watch, and we'll be uh, breaking it down throughout the morning. So thank you so much for joining us. So nice to be with you. Appreciate it. Bill Anderson, Vice President, Crestview Strategy. You can find more online, crestviewstrategy.com.
Joining us to analyze Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley's body language from last night's provincial leaders debate. Joining us this morning, brand specialist, writer, speaker, and body language expert, Robin Braley. Hi, Robin. Well, hi. Good morning. Pleasure to have you joining us because we've had lots of comments about the colors of the clothing worn, etc. So you've analyzed the body language of political leaders during numerous provincial and federal election debates. We'll get into some of the fine details, but overall, what what was your takeaway from last night's debate between Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley? In a body language context, I don't think either one of them won. I would give them a 6 out of 10, and they both did things that took away from what they were saying. Now, body language is a series of indicators that either support or detract from what the person is saying. Okay, let's break this down for the average person, Robin, because I know you watch differently than the rest of mm-hmm. us. So are we talking about the eye movement, uh, the, 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 the shoulders, are they up or down, the hand gestures? What sorts of uh, takeaways do you go for? What, what sorts of things are you trying to pinpoint? Absolutely. Eye contact, Rachel Notley did not have a good night as far as eye contact is concerned. In television, you want to be looking at the camera or the other candidate and Rachel seemed to be looking all around the studio her eyes did not stop they kept moving now I feel that she does that when she's thinking about what she's talking about but it's very distracting uh, for for people that are trying to listen to what they're saying now you mentioned the dress off the top and of course first impressions are everything so the question is why did rachel wear that blue suit mm-hmm. blue is uh usually associated with uh, conservatives uh so that is a big question but the the deeper question there is that why would you wear something that doesn't make you stand out from your competition. I'm sure neither knew what they were wearing, and they might have been really surprised when they came out of the dressing room, oh, that's what you're wearing. But the other thing off the top is that Daniel Smith uh, had a makeup problem in that her face was really shiny. Now, this is Television 101. You know there's going to be a forest of lights simply patting down the shiny spots with some face powder that's all it's that's needed she also had a scar on the side of her nose now we've all had cuts in weird places but that would be really easy to fix with some makeup every time i saw her i kept looking at that scar and wondering what was happening rachel on the other side uh she this is the third debate that i've analyzed rachel's body language and In every debate, she has a a little issue with her hair that is just habit. She allows her hair to fall down over her face, and at times it even covers one eye. Now, we know the eyes are the windows to the soul. So when she would do that and then flip it back, either with just a head motion or a couple of times she reached up with her hand and uh, flipped it back, that's distracting. Could you gauge, Robin, any emotion? And uh, we've had a couple of texts this morning. These are the texter's words, not mine, that, you know, uh, UCP candidate Danielle Smith got into the head of Rachel Notley during the debate. Could you tell that somebody was operating more so on, you know, maybe anger or uh, was kind of off their game due to comments? Do you notice those sorts of things? Well, I feel that uh, Rachel Notley actually underperformed last night. And there were times when she didn't, 
show the same confidence that I would expect a former premier to show. Danielle Smith, on the other hand, her face always looked angry or condescending. Now, talk about condescending. Going back to Rachel, another habit that she has is when she finishes making a statement, she purses her lips and nods her head and then goes to a smile. Kind of saying, there, I told you. Mm-hmm. It was, it's fascinating to watch through the eyes of Robin Braley, actually, and sort of replay it in your head as you're talking about these things, because it really does, it changes from just us listening to the words to really paying attention how people act and the things they do with their hands, their eyes, etc. And it really is very telling, isn't it? It absolutely is. Uh, Andy, you ask about emotion. The only time that Danielle showed emotion was right at the end when she was making what I felt was a heartfelt plea uh, to voters to overlook her mistakes and promising to do better. Rachel Notley told one story, and stories relate. And I wondered why both candidates didn't talk about uh, meeting people on the street and conversations. And so I know this really matters to you. Ralph Klein, in his day, that was his secret to staying in office, is relating to the person on the street. And I'm not sure that either one of them did that Mm -hmm. last night. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, we really appreciate your insight as this was kind of the last stop to you know, hear from them directly like that. I know we'll hear some more things over the coming days with the advance votes opening on Tuesday. But, you know, in the meantime, uh, here's the question for you. And I know that we've had a few people that we've kind of stumped with this question this morning. Can you pick a winner or can you pick, if, if it's easier to not say winner, who had the edge if you had to give top marks to one of the candidates yesterday? Well, in the voting spectrum, you have the left and you have the right. So people that are far to those extremes, their vote is welded to their leader. They're after the people in the center. That's how you form government, is by attracting the votes of the people in the center. I don't think either candidate really moved a lot of people from the center. So body language-wise, uh, I did not see the performance that I would have ex- expected. For example, Danielle Smith chopped with one hand a lot. She pointed. She'd look into the camera and then point at Rachel Notley while she was talking. Those are kind of aggressive moves and uh, doesn't speak to uh, the balance and the uh, the commitment to solve problems and work together that you'd like to see in your elected leaders. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us and thanks for the conversation, Robin. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Robin Braley, brand specialist, writer, speaker. You can find more about uh, the power of body language at Robin's blog site, Brand It with Robin. That's Robin with a Y. It is our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Happy to have her on each and every Friday morning in this time slot. Good morning to you, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good, good. Of course, we always want to bring it back to ourselves. The city of Calgary, and although we are talking provincially, the debate last night, 60 minutes between UCP leader Danielle Smith and NDP leader Rachel Notley. Who do you think came out on top in the debate, if you can offer opinion on that, and or or, did you hear any good news for Calgary from either of the leaders? Well, I would have to say that, you know, debates are always based on your personal perspective, so instead of offering that, I'm not going to say there was a winner or a loser in this one. I was happy that they answered the questions for the most part. Um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, taking jabs at each other throughout 
the entire process, but I thought the way that uh, the debate was structured was pretty good. There were some uh, moments in there where there was good news for Calgary. I'd have to say that, you know, we continue to stress as a city that affordable housing is a priority, that safe and dependable transit is a priority, and downtown um, is incredibly important to our future. And although I heard bits and pieces of that, I also have to say, you know, the debate was structured around some of the more provincial issues like healthcare and education. So, um, you know, I didn't hear anything new. I heard what we typically hear from them. And for the most part, I thought the organizers did a very good job. Yeah, I was going to touch on that, Mayor, that, you know, Calgary believed to be the true battleground in the upcoming election really was a non-issue in the debate. I I was kind of disappointed there wasn't more talk that centered around our city. Like you said, obviously, it's a a provincial debate and you want to speak broadly. But if this really, really is where it sort of comes down to, you'd think there would have been a little more discussion around the city. Well, the thing is, the art of answering questions at a debate is entirely predicated on, you know, getting out the message you want regardless of the question. And that sounds a little bit, um, you know, sounds a little nerdy, but if they had structured their responses to be appropriate for Calgarians who were listening, we probably would have picked up on it. I heard the name of the city a few times, but I didn't specifically hear about things that would be done for Calgary or even Edmonton for that matter, given that they're the two major metropolitan centers. But again, they're appealing to an entire province, so I think that's why they took it easy. All right, let's switch gears and uh, focus purely on our city. Proposed changes to the Police Act. Uh, what are the details around this change as far as how it will help police here in Calgary serve citizens better? Well, let me start with the good news. There is absolutely um, more attention to the public complaints process and how we can strengthen it, and we we're very happy to see that. Um, the struggle I have is that the province decided that they would be able to appoint three members of their choosing to Calgary Police Commission. And when I had the conversation in December with the minister, my flag at that time was, well, we would be very interested to know what kind of a vetting process you will use. We have a structured process that we use. Um, There is a uh, call for applicants. There's a selection process. It's viewed by a committee and then it's voted upon by council. So would you be following that type of an approach? And we got an answer that they would be doing something and you know they would let us know there was no further conversation from that point from what i understand they did reach out to commission to understand what the skills matrix methodology looks like but there was no engagement with police commission to say what is your biggest issue that you're facing right now what type of skill sets are you seeking who would you like to see in terms of an individual with certain capabilities the decision was made on the 24th of april Commission was advised on the 1st of May, and council, frankly, wasn't even considered, which is fine. The oversight body is commissioned, but they should have been engaged in the skill sets that were needed, and that didn't happen. On to another topic, uh, because I think this is an important one, that you were meeting with representatives of of Tourism Calgary earlier this week and others, the Calgary Arts Development Authority and Sutina Nation. And it looks like uh, Calgary may be pursuing the 2027 North American Indigenous Games. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, we are absolutely pursuing that bid. And on Wednesday, the 17th of May, there was a group of us in Halifax to make a presentation to the selection committee. Um, very solid presentation. I have to give full credit to Chief Roy Whitney from Sutina from, for being just a compelling and amazing presenter. Um, some of his minor chiefs came with him. 
Destiny Whitney, who is sales manager for their Sportsplex, told a very personal story about being an elite athlete and how this Games would give Indigenous athletes the opportunity to compete with others that they could uh, feel they were part of the community of. So strong bid. Patty Pond was great in terms of telling our cultural story, and we'll see where we go from here. The announcement's in July. Speaking with Mayor Jyoti Gondek, and uh, Mayor, we had the opportunity to speak with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld a couple of days ago Wednesday with his monthly visit with us. And uh, then news last night of a man in hospital after being stabbed on a Calgary bus, uh, this taking place in the city southeast in, in Mackenzie Town. Uh, the uh, police chief had indicated to us, uh, Mayor, that he believes we are starting to turn the corner when it comes to the, some of the violence on Calgary Transit and on the streets. Uh, do you feel the same way at this point? Anytime you have an incident like the one last night, um, you can't think about turning a corner. You have to think about the impact, the immediate impact, not only on people who are riding transit, but on our operators. And so I'm incredibly concerned that every time we have an incident, it is creating a traumatic situation for people that are on that bus, including uh, the bus operator. So we continue to work with the police service to see what we can do. But these incidents are unpredictable and they weigh very heavily on all of us. So I hope he's right about turning the corner. But again, I'm very saddened about what happened yesterday. Mayor, this came out yesterday that uh, the city of Calgary is going to do Canada Day a little bit differently. Um, fireworks free for Canada Day this year. We'll see something at Fort Calgary, but the fireworks will not be the way we close it out. It's been very traditional to do fireworks to celebrate Canada Day, but I can also understand some of the issues that are involved. You know, you hear people talk about wildlife and pets, etc., but the humans that it affects, you mentioned the word traumatic, and I would think for a lot of people, fireworks can potentially be quite traumatic. Is that why the change? I believe our administration made a really good decision here. There will be pyrotechnics from the stage, but it's not going to be lighting up the sky to be able to see, you know, across the city, a fireworks display. And I think it's out of respect for a couple of things. We heard very clearly from the Indigenous community that this was a difficult day. And so, you know, it's out of respect for that community as well as um, the fact that it's the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Exclusion Act on that day so i think there was a lot of cultural sensitivity around how we would do it this year and i think our administration made a very good decision here mayor just before we let you go it's the official well unofficial start of summer a may long weekend Uh, what do you have planned are you you one of those uh uh, campers who's going to make their way out camping this weekend (laughs) i wish i will be doing a few events uh in town so i'll try to find some time to uh to relax but you know, I always get a little cynical about this weekend. I imagine I'll be covering up plants at some point, too. <laughs> I was going to say, do you want to bet that there is snow at some point over the long weekend? <laughs> Every year there is either snow or the threat of snow. I'm hoping for sunshine, but I'm keeping the plastic bags at the ready. Okay, just on that note, curious, what do you call it? Do you call it the May Long? Do you call it May 2-4? Do you call it Victoria's birthday? What do you call this weekend? It's been May Long since I was a kid. Okay. In Ontario, in the East, we call it May 2-4 because... I get that, yes. Double whammy. In case of beer, but uh, <laughs> maybe we'll be doing that because it probably will be a little bit crummy in terms of weather at some point. But hopefully everybody has a fantastic long weekend, including you, Mayor. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a wonderful long weekend, everyone. Thank you. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek.